0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the president and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. Welcome back.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's good to be back, as always.
0: Another week of answers from the lab.
1: There you go. Yeah, it sounded like the nightline news (laughs) that, that started with the Iran hostage crisis and then turned into a regular thing. So that's us.
0: Yeah, we that's We Started us. with the
1: pandemic, and now here we are, a regular thing. Oh,
0: good point. And you know, we're actually going to talk today about outbreaks and hopefully not any new pandemics, but what's going on with the existing pandemic, COVID course, we've all been looking at the news lately. There have been a lot of infectious diseases in the news, but then over the weekend, I was just catching up on some light reading, and I have this old manual from 1919 where it was talking about a disease called elephantiasis, otherwise known as filariasis, and how it used to be in the United States. And that just got me thinking about all the diseases we used to have in the U.S. and could indeed come back again if we didn't have a strong public health lab and diagnostic testing capabilities, things like malaria. We also used to have yellow fever. And I don't think people think about the fact that we used to have these diseases that are otherwise considered tropical or esoteric in the United States. But now we're starting to see some of these diseases come again. You and I talked about malaria recently, but then there was also a case of leprosy in a patient from Florida that hadn't traveled at all. And we're also seeing cases of flea-borne typhus. There's alpha-gal, COVID uptick. So I think it's just a good time to reflect on the different outbreaks and talk again about how do we address those in the uh, diagnostic testing laboratory in the United States in general.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. One of the things that we're experiencing at many levels is like sort of the, uh, the COVID hangover maybe of just not wanting to worry about infectious diseases and outbreaks. And yet to your point, we've, they continue to plague us. And I think they will. Uh, of course, monkeypox, you didn't even mention that yep. still, I don't think can be completely eradicated. The cases have gone way down, but having awareness and what was the role of the lab in that and getting the lab going, that was another one where we were caught a bit unaware. And then thinking back, even I think it was in 2022 or so when there was a really wet winter spring in Phoenix and I was at West. No, there was, uh, there was an arthropod. There was
0: a big West Nile outbreak. Yes. yes, In Phoenix. So,
1: so we have to be mindful of these things. You're right. And be mindful in the laboratory. And it's another area that being mindful in the laboratory, of course, entails not just being in the lab, but being also an advocate for the lab outside the lab, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we're really seeing two things here with these infectious diseases. Well, maybe I'll expand that to three things. One, we're seeing a reemergence of old things that have been here before that are now kind of rearing up again, like malaria. And climate change probably has a little bit to do with that, as well as a number of other factors, including global travel. Then we have introduction of things that had not been in the United States before, but get introduced from other places. And West Nile disease would be one of those that was introduced actually originally detected in Uganda where I just was, and came over with migrating birds and and other sources. And now it's endemic in the United States. And then I guess the third that I have to add is novel pathogens that were never known before anywhere in the world that have now come out through various mutations, and perhaps from an existing strain with the mutation that makes it more amenable to being transferred human to human. So we have all of these pathogens. We're probably gonna be seeing more of these outbreaks and we have to be prepared.
1: Yeah, so what does that I mean? To me, I have a couple some thoughts on what preparedness looks like, but I think one of the, the first things that comes to mind is again, our role in healthcare. And that is understanding the basis of the disease and helping our providers and clinicians and doctors diagnose it and patients to be aware of it. So I think a lot of it is just an awareness, right? Because oftentimes mm-hmm. if, if we're not in strong partnership with our clinicians, we are clinicians, but not really being a presence there in the clinical environment, just so they know to look for these things. I think, mm-hmm. right? A, a monkeypox is an example. Remember it was, uh, say, masquerading, but it had an appearance more like a uh, HSV or something else.
0: Right. Well, that's a really astute observation, Bill, because you're right, we're clinicians, but we may not be the patient-facing clinician who's seeing the patient and placing the order. And part of lab diagnostics is first ordering the lab diagnostics, ordering the correct test. And there was a really interesting study recently on alpha-gal, the so-called meat allergy that we've talked about before, where there was a study that was conducted of 1,500 doctors and 42% of the people that had responded to the survey never heard of meat allergy and 35% weren't confident of their ability to diagnose and detect it or treat it. So there you go. There's an example of a disease that is diagnosable. We have a laboratory test for it. In fact, we have one through DLMP and Mayo Clinic Laboratories, but you have to think of it in order to order it. And then there is a, a treatment. Unfortunately, it's more just prevention of meat until the allergy subsides. But it all starts yep. with suspecting and then ordering the test and getting that diagnostic result.
1: Yep, that's right. And look at the example of my friend, Dr. Juchai. He ended up with anaphylaxis because no one could think, no one thought of the diagnosis. until Yeah, wow. that episode. And it goes back to your point, too, about it's also prevention. So that's another, it's a lone star tick. So it goes back mm-hmm. to your ABCs and, Thinking about that as well, there's another piece of advocacy, though, which I think is really important, and that is uh, not just in the clinical environment, but also it, with payers, right, and particularly thinking about the federal government. Interestingly, there's a piece of legislation called PAPA. That's the code name for it. It's pandemic and all hazards preparedness act. I had to close my eyes to get through that whole one, but it's it's actually something. It sounds a bit arcane, but it's actually super important. It was passed in two thousand and six, and it put into law what different branches of government could do to help the country prepare for outbreaks, including pandemics. Right, and it's kind of counterintuitive, but. The government can only do what actually has a legal authority to do. So we need, the, you know, that law gave the White House the ability to step in and take strategic response and operational control over our response to COVID over two administrations, right? It created the ability of the federal government to actually reach out to labs like Mayo Clinic Labs and set up contracts to do testing because that's the government with a private agency. And last but not least, it provides funding and the guardrails, the impetus, the drive, however you put it, for our federal government to maintain awareness and invest in awareness globally in what's happening with outbreaks, right? Because we know they're going to hit us. And so ironically, that that piece of legislation is coming up. It has to be renewed. And this year, it's going to be in Congress. And it's important to, number one, for us to understand what's in it, to make sure the labs are addressed. And number two, to really help we have a big influence over our representatives in Congress to make sure that this thing gets passed. Because if it doesn't, to your point, the drumbeat is only going to continue to get louder, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. on a lot of these
0: things. Yes. And you mentioned two important things, Bill, national and international or global. It's important what happens globally. We all saw that during COVID. I don't think anyone questions that anymore. You could have a respiratory virus that passes from person to person emerge across the world and very quickly spread throughout the entire world if conditions are right. You can also see something like Ebola that maybe doesn't, it's not a respiratory virus, but could also pass from person to person. We had cases in the United States when there was the Ebola outbreak. Then we have things like West Nile virus that came over into the United States and passes from mosquitoes to people. So none of us are immune we truly are a global society and whether a disease is passed by humans or by birds or mosquitoes or another vector it can very quickly traverse the globe
1: exactly and the only thing i would add to that is that people have to we have to remember um we have to be advocates for what, for what the labs need to be able to respond for that and so as an example this papa if you will there is the ability for the federal government to say gosh, we see this outbreak. We want to pay a laboratories. We want funding the laboratory. So when it gets here, they can do the testing as opposed to, and this was a challenge even with monkeypox was we see this coming. Can you please take the expense labs of setting up the test in case it comes, which is tough, right? Because we're, we all have to make, keep our eye on our bottom line. And so these things are really important. So to, to make sure that working whether it's through ACLA, American Clinical Lab Association, Mm -hmm. College of American Pathologists, or any one of these associations and groups that represent us to make sure that we articulate our needs. Because we're, to your point going back, we're Mm -hmm. such an important part of the equation. That was pretty clear with COVID, but uh, those memories don't last. So we have to really, (laughs) we have to make sure we we advocate for ourselves because we're really advocating for our, our patients and our public health.
0: Yes, we really have to bring it to the forefront and advocate and going through our professional societies is one of the best ways to do it, because we have a strong voice, our professional societies will help and do a lot of the advocacy. And it's just a matter of us understanding the issues and showing our support and then we can write letters to our representatives. And it's easier to do that in some situations than perhaps just reaching out to them on their own. So if people are looking for a place to start, look at ACLA, ACLA, look at CAP, College of American Mythologists. Those are two excellent places to start. Look at your own professional societies and see what they're doing. It's important yeah. for all of us to be involved.
1: Exactly. ASCP is an American society mm-hmm. of clinical is another one that's very influential. So yeah, absolutely. So keep your ear to the ground and stay engaged, I guess, is our job.
0: Yep. And we will keep giving updates as they come. Indeed. Well, thanks again, Bill. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yep. Have a great week.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.